Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark in the hit TV show, Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an ass on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there, my name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia. Also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is uh, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, as well as Davis, aka The Strategy Man. And if I'm going to describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need for leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobsled team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Berga, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what 
makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Welcome to the show where we believe curiosity is the answer we've been looking for. Here's what I'm curious about right now, education. The educational system may have prepared us for urban industrial age, but will it work as we move deeper into the AI augmented world? And potentially the even more important question is, has the educational system stripped us of our roots? Let me ask you, if you were dropped in the middle of the bush somewhere, would you just die? Or would you know how to not only survive, but actually thrive? Now, maybe you're convinced that that will never happen to you. Well, here's the news. The world is on the brink of some pretty radical changes. And up until the beginning of the 19th century, humans were fueled by the animals and plants that they ate and the wood that they burned. Within 20 years, the world had changed dramatically from everything that everybody expected at that time. So what's the urban world going to be like when you are not needed because an AI robot can do what you do far faster and a fraction of the cost? What's going to happen when the education you received is at best redundant and maybe the degrees that you've got become kindling? What if in that moment you wished you paid more attention to the things that were less tech-based? What if you suddenly discovered that what you needed was a nature-based education over a public education? My name is Dov Barron and I'm your host. To find out more about how you can hire me as a speaker for your, or a strategist for your organization, come talk to us at fullmontyleadership.com forward slash consulting or fullmontyleadership.com forward slash speaking. My guest today is a wilderness educator. Richard Cleveland is from the Great Smoky Mountains area of Western North Carolina. Richard is the consummate outdoorsman and a true passion for teaching and reconnecting people with their ancestral roots and the powerful relationships that we should be having with the natural world. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me to welcome the Grizzly Adams, the Bear Grylls of the Smoky Mountains, Richard, Richard Cleveland! Oh. <laughs> okay, that's the best intro I think I've ever had. <laughs> glad to hear it. Glad to be here. Thanks, Richard. I'm glad to have you here, too. So we're all, we always start with the first question, and that's this. What are you most curious about? Oh, boy. Right now. Right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know we, we all have general curiosities, mm -hmm. but it's probably something that's bubbling up for you. What are you most curious about right now? Actually, for me, it's, it's really the same thing every day. It's, um, it's what's going on around me. You know, because no matter how aware we think we are, mm -hmm. until someone shows you what's there to be seen, if you've never seen it before, you miss it. And right. so I, I'm constantly reminding myself every time I go outside or even in my house, but mostly outside. And it forces me to slow down and actually really look and see what's there. Because we get in these ruts, we get in these patterns, you know, when we leave our house, we do the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we get in our vehicles, we drive down the roads, we get to where we're going, you know, our, you know, our feet seldom touch the grass, you know, so, right. so how much are we missing, I think, is the, is the, is the, is the most important question, because we mm -hmm. think we see everything, 
but we don't. No, absolutely. The mind is a deletion machine. It is an energy saving deletion machine. So it constantly deletes things out of the way and fills in gaps with what it thinks it should be so it can keep moving fast. And you're absolutely right. I think we're missing so much. I mean, I see this every day with the clients that I work with where they'll say, how come I didn't see that? Am I stupid? And the answer is no, you're not stupid. You are efficient. <laughs> and, and sometimes the efficiency is, in, is what makes us stupid, is that we actually get these massive blind spots to things. Mm -hmm. Now, you do a lot of stuff around, of course, nat nature education, educating people around what is in nature, what's around them. But, you know, in the intro there, I was talking about how traditional education may at best be uh, coming redundant and a lot of it is just not useful at all anymore. Do you have a traditional educational background? Um, I was, you know, I was raised or taught in public schools, just like most, most people were. Right. And I had a really close relationship with nature, even as a young boy. And so I spent a lot of time in it. I didn't really necessarily know what everything was, but I had an innate curiosity about it from, you know, from a very young age. And then I started to really dive into these outdoor skills when somebody showed me literally what mm -hmm. I was missing. And it rocked my world, Doug. It, mm -hmm. it shook me up because I thought, you know, that I was seeing everything because I was so into nature. You know, in right. fact, you know, whenever my friends would find a bug or find something, they would be like, Let's go find Richard. Richard will know what it is. But in one week, I was shown that um, Richard didn't know as much as he thought he did. And it really took the blindfold off of me. And, and I didn't even know I was wearing one. How old were you at that time? I was 30 years old. So that was uh, 30 years ago. All right. So you, you know, you'd already been interested in the whole nature thing for a long mm -hmm. time. I had. And then you suddenly realized oh my God, I've got fractional knowledge compared to what I, what I think I have, which is often the case. Yes. But did you, did, you, did you end up going to university? Because a lot of people now, you know this, mm -hmm. a lot of people now are into what we, you and I used to call ecology. Uh, that was the words <laughs> that we used. But environmental studies and, you know, those kinds sure. of things. And, um, you know, and they go to university to get a degree in it, um, you know, and those kinds of things. Did you go down that road at all? I did not go to university at all. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, I took a couple of classes in community college and, um, but when I really started to be introduced to nature at a much higher level, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's when I really jumped into it. And I was fortunate enough to have some native American influence. I had several native American teachers and I weave that in through my own style of teaching as well. Um, but school doesn't teach what I teach. No, I'm sure of that. Even, even universities are, you know, they're going to teach you the specifics or technical names of things, but mm -hmm. seldom do they get into the actual uses, you know, for instance, plants. Mm -hmm. Look at the biodiversity of plants that we have. Yeah. How many people can walk outside their, you know, walk out to their yard and identify five edible and medicinal plants? No. And a lot of these people have been to universities. No, well, well, that's not really what I'm, what I'm asking about whether they've been in university, but what I actually would love to know from you is, you know, when you, 
you run your 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 school, you know, which is about nature natural education. Um, and I wonder if you have because there's there is a, a huge rise in people who are becoming conscious of the planet. I mean, it's vastly different even than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. People are more concerned about the planet. They're more concerned about the environment. They're more concerned with the ecosystems of the world. And as a result, there are those courses are showing up in universities and people are taking them, you know, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're, they've, some of them have decided that bathing is an option and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they think that that's part of the environment, you know, uh, <laughs> But do you have those guys show up? Do they come to to your nature school and, 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 you know, with this idea that, you know, they, they've discovered that a dandelion is a root and it's not a weed and you can make medicine from it and you can make tea from it. You can make, you can eat it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now they feel like, Oh, you know, I've got it because they did the university degree and maybe they even did a thing in college. I mean, are they, is that useful to them? Or, or do you find that that kind of gets in the way when they show up? Um, you know, for, first off, I get people from all walks of life come to my classes. Sure. Yes, I get the people that, you know, they're in their, they're 18 to 20 and they're, you know, they don't bathe. <laughs> I get, I get, I get that crowd. Um, you know, I get university students. I get kids that are into the outdoors. I yeah. get um, adults up to in their probably mid 60s. And occasionally I'll get some military guys come through right? and all of them, you know, I don't think they really know what to expect when they get there. No, They have ideas, of course. And, but when they leave, I've, I've got nothing but praise. People are just, it's like they had a blindfold on to a degree at least. Sure. And that got ripped off and now they're really looking around. I can't, I mean, that's, you know, this is my dopamine. This is what keeps me teaching. Because yep. I can, because I see these transformations in people happen every single class without exception. Oh, I'm sure. So when you when you think about all this, what is one of the when you're speaking to somebody maybe who's not attending one of your classes, but um, mm-hmm. when you speak to people about what it is you do, what is one of the big misconceptions? Because I'm sure, like the whole the premise of this show is around curiosity. And, and the premise of that premise is that we have these boxes, we shove people, we shove ideas into, and we don't get curious because we go, well, you know, he's that, she's that, they believe this, so I can stop listening. And the whole premise of this show was, how do we solve the problems of the world through curiosity? And so I'm really fascinated to know when they, when they meet you, they invariably must have an idea about who Richard is or what Richard does. And then there's likely to be some level of transformation. So what is the, what is the biggest misconception about what Richard Cleveland does and the nature school that you run? It is, it all comes down to one word and that is survival. And when I advertise, it's, it's hard not to, you know, if I'm running a wilderness skills weekend, I have to put the word survival in there, but the word, which is just a word, has a lot of different emotional connotations to a lot of different people. Of course, yeah. A lot of people either you know either step a step a few um, 
step closer because they're, re they're really curious about it. And mm -hmm. other people maybe take a few steps back because they think that you're, oh, you're, you know, like you're one of those people that's, you know, you know, you know, burying grains and canned goods, you know, waiting, you know, waiting for the apocalypse. But really, it boils down to the one thing that we all share. And this is where I always go with it. And that's nature. Right. It's our connection to nature. Our ancestors, yeah. no matter what continent they originated from, they all had the exact same relationship with nature that, let's say, the Native Americans in North and South America did. They have, they have the same physical, emotional, and spiritual ties to nature. They mm -hmm. depended on it and they worked with it. They never took more than they needed. And when I kind of present what I teach in that aspect, people get it. You know, that's when they start to go, oh, wow, I never really thought of it in that context. Because everything that they had and everything that we still have today comes from nature. That hasn't changed. So it is the misconception that, it, that it's that it's a you know a survivalist in a very sort of harsh sense uh you know you got to kill a bear and make lunch i mean you know <laughs> is it is it, like is that the misconcept you know that if i was to say oh this you know this is richard he, he's a survivalist and he he's a naturist you know that do you think that that's the pictures that go off in their head is my point I think sometimes, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, everyone has first impressions of people when they meet them and everyone bases their opinions on what previous exposure they've, they've had to such time. Yeah. Do you think that shows like Bear Grylls and those things have helped or, or, or do you think that they've glamorized and changed it and made it, you know, I, I have a very strong opinion about this. So I'm going to give Good. it to Tell you. us. Um, we don't need subtlety. We need your truth. One thing that I've noticed about almost all of these survival shows, like, you know, first off, it was Survivor Man, or actually Survivor, the t you know, the television drama, you know, when that yeah, first... Yeah, the, the reality show, yeah. I mean, I thought that was going to be cool. I thought they were going to actually teach people how to learn things about nature and take care of themselves. And it no, they're going to show them what, what idiots they were if they were left in the bush. It's a back. By the way, I would have been an idiot too, so it's not a detriment. <laughs> and then um, Les Stroud came out. Yeah. And uh, Bear Grylls. Survivor Man. Uh -huh, Survivor Man, who I have great respect for because he's by himself. Yeah. Bear Grylls is an athlete. Mm -hmm. One of my friends actually was the survival advisor on two of his episodes. And so mm. he, he was there and sees what goes on behind the scenes. And I'm not going to... Of course. I'm not going to slander that, but let's just say he's not alone. Okay. No. <laughs> and, but one thing that all these shows seem to have in common with very few exceptions is they're always pitting humans against nature. Wow. It's always this frantic struggle, this race to get out of nature because mother nature's a witch and she's going to gobble you up. Right. Wouldn't it be That's great to see a show? Wouldn't it great to see a show where they're actually teaching people how to stay? I mean, our ancestors weren't trying to escape nature. There was nowhere to go. There was just more nature. Yeah, the ancestors were going, I know in 200 years, New York City will be there. I'm just going to keep moving <laughs> forward. If I can just get away from this bastard nature, 
I know I will find an urban environment in a couple hundred years. Just keep going east. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very true. I never thought about that, but it's actually true, is that a lot of those shows are about trying to get out of not coming to terms with... I mean, that's one of the things I loved about Survivor Man. I didn't feel like that show was making nature the enemy but making ignorance the enemy is what I saw with that show. It was like, you know, if you don't know, you will die. Right. right. And, and if you do know, you can have anything you need, you know, and, and as we saw, he was in the desert and he was in the swamp and he was in, you know, rainforest and just, I really personally enjoyed that show. And I would definitely not have considered myself a nature guy, but it, it, I am a nature person, but, yeah, a survivalist person, but it's just like his, the way that that show was done was not, as you said, it was not nature is the enemy. So that's a, that's a very interesting point. Thank you for bringing that up because I think it's important. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, and this is what I was saying to you earlier, is there seems to have been a bit of a, a bit of backlash. It took a while, but a bit of a backlash to not, not necessarily to urban living, um, but, you know, example is there's a, a local New York City honey business that manages 40 hives that are scattered across the rooftops, uh, terrace gardens uh, throughout Manhattan and Brooklyn and Queens. Now, the Big Apple is not a place that we'd think of as being a haven of agriculture, but urban farms um, have started popping up on rooftops and in old warehouses across the city, um, building at least eco-conscious communities that are focusing on transforming the city to being a little bit more than the concrete jungle. Is that, for you, is that, is that a completely different path or is that a step towards having a, a greater awareness and, and having us come back to- You know, I think it's all tied together personally. I mean, right. you know, these people are learning about growing food. They're learning about soil. I mean, if we were really smart, we'd be making dirt. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we'd, be, we'd be trying to have all of our communities composting and having community piles so that people can actually grow things. And, you know, you're starting to see that, like you said, in New York, up on rooftops, you're starting to see neighborhoods now, which some of the regulations are allowing people yeah. to grow food in their front yards. And you've seen that yeah. where some people have, you know, you know, the, the city comes in and says, Hey, you can't do that. You can't do this. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. When all you're trying to do is just beautify an area and, and feed yourself and maybe grow some, you know, um, culinary herbs or medicinal herbs. So I think it's all tied together with nature. I think they go hand in hand. I don't see, I don't see a major separation there because um, yeah. it's all really the same thing. It's, it's learning how to take care of yourself.